Hey, this is Josh. Thanks for tuning into the show, Healers on Healing. I wanted to make this show because we can get caught in the trappings of life. Responsibilities, bills to pay, kids to feed, just all these things that take our attention. And to me, healing and being our healthiest self gets neglected. I thought it'd be interesting to ask my colleagues and other professionals what the heck this thing, health and healing, is. I hope these conversations inspire you, demystify the process, maybe reinforce what you already know, and give you new ideas on how to be the healthiest you. In today's episode, my guest Annie Wright talks about the power of relationships. Annie is a therapist and head of a clinic in Berkeley, California. Tune in as Annie talks about her personal journey through relationships and speaks to the power to wound or to heal us. My name is Annie Wright. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, and I run a therapy center in downtown Berkeley called Evergreen Counseling, where I see clients, but I also work with an incredibly talented team of clinicians who also see clients from Berkeley, the Bay Area, and beyond. This is my first time here, and it's beautiful. So. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I really, I really appreciate that. I love totally, the space. Totally. So I start with a very easy question, and I say that jokingly because it's a huge question (laughs) Mm -hmm. and it is so here you are helping people do something achieve something feel something what is that something what is health what is healing well I've been thinking about how to answer your question but also I've been thinking about how I'm going to explain to my baby what mommy does for work I'm trying to think well what's what's the way a, a child could understand it and I think at the end of the day probably what I'll say is mommy helps people who are hurting and helps them feel better I'm gonna dive more into that feeling better what does feeling better look like feel like taste like Oh, <laughs> such a great question. Yeah, hadn't thought this far about what my daughter might ask. <laughs> um, it can look so many different ways. I think feeling better means feeling less alone, feeling more connected, feeling more hopeful, feeling more capable, feeling more able. It doesn't mean taking away all the hurt. It doesn't mean making the hurt never have existed in the first place. It means helping the person face the hurt in a way where they feel like they have more strength and capability and resilience. I got the sense of like having ground under my feet Mm -hmm. and what a difference having ground under my feet makes for the process of anything. Definitely, because you know, in this work, it's not about eliminating life's problems and pains. That's impossible. We can't do that. But what we can do is help someone feel more equipped to face the pains and to face the difficulties. What do you feel 
builds that? What gives us ground under our feet? Well, I think at the very foundational level, it's making sure that the literal physical ground under one's feet, the external environment, is safe. And maybe that's a little more social worky, but sometimes that comes up in the course of therapy as well, making sure somebody is living in a safe space that they aren't around people who are hurting them, that they have some financial stability, they have some uh, a job to go to, a routine. And so we take care of the external supports, and that, I think, is a certain kind of ground. I think, too, then there is relational ground. Are there safe people in one's life that you can turn to when you're hurting or when you're really in need? So that, to me, is another piece of ground. But I think the most fundamental piece of ground and what helps somebody weather the storms of life the most is an internal sense of ground, a deep sense of self-compassion, an integrated sense of self, a knowing of oneself, a certain amount of mastery over oneself in order to make choices that are more healthful and helpful and incongruent with what someone wants out of life. I love all parts of that question, or your answer, excuse me. And some of it feels very tangible. We have to create the sense of safety external and the sense of safety financially and Mm -hmm. things like that. And that to me seems more clear cut. So I want to ask you about the third piece of the sense of safety internal. Yes. Yeah. How do we really cultivate internal sense of safety? After all these years, I still feel like I'm trying to answer that. Like, what is the the magic, the alchemy that creates that? I'll speak to this a couple different ways. So my area of expertise is around complex relational trauma. You could possibly call that complex PTSD. The folks I work with have relational trauma. They were perhaps raised by personality disordered parents, parents with mood disorders. They have maybe some assault in their background and other incidents and relational uh, challenges that made them feel very unsafe, neglected, abandoned, or abused in the world. When that happens to a child or an adolescent, it can have a, a host of impacts. It can disorganize oneself. It can prohibit emotional regulation skills. It can limit the way people can healthily attach to others. It can have profound impacts on our nervous system and our physiology. It's a trauma disorder, but it's a relational trauma disorder. When I'm working with those clients, there's so many different ways that I'm hoping and helping them to move towards a more safe sense of self. One thing is showing them what it is to be in a safe, consistent, boundaried relationship, hopefully giving them a reparative experience that they've never had in their life that they can begin to internalize and find some safety in. Another thing I'm teaching them is, frankly, how to get back in their bodies and feel their feelings, contain them, appropriately express them. I'm helping people learn how to recognize and assert their needs and wants and also tolerate maybe the disappointment or the challenging feelings that come up when their needs and wants aren't met. And when that happens, when they receive skills and tools to manage their feelings, when they experience safety in a relationship, when they can develop some positive regard for who they are in all of their parts, that's where I see people becoming more whole and more grounded in themselves. I'm going to say all that you said in a very simplistic way, so please (laughs) excuse me because it it is more complex than the simplicity I'm about to say. In all that, I hear practicing how to be 
in relationship in a healthy setting. Yeah. Practicing how to be myself in a healthy setting. Yes. Practicing how to go through emotions. It's, it's really, I hear this sense of like practice. Exactly. And this reminds me of something I tell clients a lot because clients will always say to me, well, therapy isn't real life. And I'm like, I say, you're right. This isn't real life in the sense that I'm not with you the rest of the week and the rest of the world isn't quite like this environment in here. But what we are doing in here, think of it much like a laboratory. We're experimenting and we're gathering information and we're practicing different things in here so that you can learn them and then go off and practice them in the outside world with some of your other relationships and in different scenarios. So yes, we are relearning, we are practicing. It really is a laboratory, I think, what goes on in therapy. And I'd even push a little further of like, it may be a strange relationship, but it still is a relationship, you know? Totally. So Absolutely. <laughs> it's a really important one, right? It's, it is a real relationship. And now, granted, do I know you outside of here? Do I see you all the time? No. No, we have boundaries around the relationship, but this is real. They, my clients pay me for my time and my expertise, but they don't pay me for my love and my affection. That's real. That's the relationship part. I used to hold the side of like, oh, why are we designed this way? Why, why can't we just be the healthiest self? And I want to talk to the maker and, you know, like, oh, it just seems like we couldn't have we been designed better. But I've been more and more, oh, right, how beautiful that all that ways we can get messed up can get rewired. Mm-hmm. And I've been really actually more amazed and thinking about like that side of the human spirit. Like, oh, you can have these horrible relationships that hurt you, left you some bad skills at navigating the world. But you can find even just one healthy relationship mm-hmm. and reverse it all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Completely. I think that's remarkable that that's possible. It says to me, we are so growth oriented. We are so resilient and relationship can wound, but gosh, it can also heal. I see your smile right now. Yeah. And, it, and <laughs> but that, that's part of the flavor, I think, because I think sometimes we don't realize how much that is available to mm, us. Like it's mm-hmm. so easy to just be in this the hurt of it all mm-hmm. and the despair of it all and mm-hmm. I, I even I think our media and a lot of yeah. our landscape just kind of amplify how negative everything mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. and yet right there's this place like, such beauty mm-hmm. repair mm-hmm. growth yeah yeah <laughs> that is amazing to me and so I, so I do have a question there like tell, tell me about that side of it Well, I'll speak to that with a story, and I think what I'm going to speak to is the power of relationship to wound and the power of relationship to heal. I come from a very complex uh, trauma background, and it is predominantly in relationship, though there were other variables. But yeah, I definitely come from a background of uh, abuse and neglect. had a lot of psychological damage because of that. But there was this thing that happened to me at age 25. I was um, back from the Peace Corps and I was working in Washington, D.C. at a corporation and I was miserable. My soul was suffering there, but my soul was also suffering from years and years of unprocessed trauma. 
And someone pointed me to a website because I had California clients at the time that I was flying out to see. And they said, oh, there's this place called Esalen. You should check it out next time you're in California. And I clicked on the homepage of the website and, you know, it felt like coming home, just seeing the, the script, the homepage. And I knew that I had to go there, just like every cell in my body knew that. So I went to a workshop called The Courage to Change Your Life. Gosh, that was back in 2007. At the end of that weekend, I <laughs> had made the decision to quit my job, uh, give up my apartment, sell all my possessions, and move out to Esalen uh, with no clue of what would come next. But I knew it was the happiest I'd ever felt, like being on that property for 48 hours. I had to go back. So I did. Because when you're 25, you can make <laughs> decisions like that. <laughs> Um, so I arrived there a couple days before Christmas in 2007, and I was a, a, in a work scholar. So I was taking classes for a month and working in the Esalen kitchens. And I didn't know what was going to come of it. One month turned into two, turned into a, an extended studentship to stay for a year, and then it turned into a job offer to stay on the Esalen staff. And that's the background. What happened in the course of me spending my time there was this. I got exposed to Gestalt and to the safety and the healing power of relationship with facilitators who, while not licensed therapists, were definitely practitioners of therapeutic modalities, a community of like-minded others who were seeking out reparative experiences in relationship. And I started to heal, to use that word. I started to confront my past. I started to feel all my feelings about my past. I started to get back in touch with my body. I started practicing being in relationship with others in a way that I'd never been in before emotionally intimate relationships. And those four years that I ended up spending there were the most transformative of my life. Now, for a couple of reasons, like not only did I heal, I also met my husband there and, you know, now we have a child and I found my career there too. And I started graduate school always there because it was the thing that I was loving and wanted to move towards. So all of this to say, I have this very lived out experience of deep relational wounding in the very early quarter of my life, but I also have this incredible experience or this um, watershed moment that changed me and the course of my life because of the healing power of relationship. And now I still have reparative healing experiences all the time in relationship. It's a continuation of what I experienced in my mid to late 20s. And hopefully it's what I'm providing others now as well. Thank you for sharing that. And yeah. I want to ask you some questions in it that I find interesting. Like, here you were in a place of darkness, right? Mm -hmm. You were miserable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Was there a voice inside of you, maybe quiet, that said, keep going? What led you in that moment yeah. to still go for something better? Like, what do you think got you to look up the website, got you to go, you know, like, I'm, mm -hmm. like, like in that mm -hmm. place of darkness, what, yeah, do you remember? Well, I would just imagine that it was some unknown, but still present part of me that knew that as unhappy as I was, this wasn't how it was supposed to be. It's not a part I can easily identify, and I don't know if we call that our soul, our intuition, spirit. Somehow that part of me, I think, was the one that knew, even though I was really, really unhappy, that wasn't normal. That that was still not what I wanted, and it didn't have to be that way. 
otherwise I probably would have just stayed put to be honest if it hadn't been that that part in me that was so hungry even in a quiet way for something different or I guess I hope that part's in all of us but I do sort of believe it to be in all of us yeah it's hard to believe in it it's yeah. hard to trust it and yeah. it sometimes I think is much more a whisper all the pain is yelling and screaming yeah well and it's to that point when people are in my office and they sit down on the couch and they're like I don't think things are ever going to be better I feel actually pretty hopeless that things are going to change I'll say huh well that's interesting because here you are sitting on my couch I, I believe a part of you might still have some hope or think something different is possible. Otherwise, I don't think you'd be here. So I think that's really important to bear in mind. If we do show up to therapy, if we do show up to a workshop, if we do turn towards a personal uh, development book, there is still some part of us that knows things could be better and wants something better for us. I don't think it's easy to know this until you've gone through the journey. But I also think that voice knows where we need to go. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and was the voice of like, oh, Esalen, look mm-hmm. that up on the website. Yes. You know? Exactly. <laughs> oh, you, you know, and you sort I of think it's random. Works. But oh, I do totally. think that voice, and, and I like that you introduced like soul, intuition. Oh, yeah. Like I think there's a voice that kind of knows where our healing lies too. And Right. And let me be clear, for years there, I was like, what am I doing with my life? What am I doing? All my peers were off doing investment banking or going to law school. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm just like sitting in the hot tubs and baking bread and studying gestalt. Like, what am I doing? It didn't all come together at once. So I say like, yes, there was probably a part of me that trusted and it was all meant to be. But it was also um, terrifying and a dark night of the soul because I was coming undone, but not knowing exactly where I was heading. And I also think that is very true in the work of healing. Like, there may be a part of us that knows like the North Star is this way, but the conscious mind resists and gets confused and has no idea what's happening. So all of that can be true too. Sometimes, right, the North Star is there, but you still don't know what land mm-hmm. you're actually going yes, to hit, you yeah. know? And you're, It does, I, I think this work takes tremendous bravery and mm-hmm. tremendous trust. And yes, I understand like the role of suffering mm-hmm. to well, this is so horrible, I might as well try this. Mm-hmm. But I have come to more and more believe that it's it's more that whisper and that North Star leading us, even if we want to sort of pin it on yeah. the motivation of suffering. Yeah. But it but it is it is setting sail and not fully knowing mm-hmm. what it's gonna look like, but it might opinion if you trust it it always looks beautiful i completely agree and i think it's just so beautiful what you said you can see the north star but you don't know the land that you're going to stand on and boy is that the truth and i think it was hard for me to hear at the time when i didn't know what the land was going to look like to believe that there was going to be land at all and that's where i think having other people on the other side of their journeys be like no there will be land you will be okay there will be something to stand on that, to me, was invaluable during those years, and hopefully it's something I can offer to people who are not standing on their own land yet. Totally, totally. It, that's actually a beautiful lead into a question I wanted to ask you, which is, 
what are these relationships offering us? Yeah, no, and I think you're 100% right that we and these people at Esalen and other people, and again, I, I don't believe it has to be therapists, I think, but I think one level of what is being offered is like trusted. Yes. Trusted. I know you don't feel mm-hmm. good right now. I know mm-hmm. you don't know where you're going. Mm-hmm. Keep going. Yeah. But trust it. And yeah. yeah, would you add, are there other gifts that like you and these relationships were giving you? Totally. Well, when I think about the guidance and the sort of cheerleading, it seems like the lesser part to me of, of what's really offered. I think at the end of the day, what what I offer and what I hope, you know, what I know other therapists offer is again that deeply reparative relationship experience one that is kind and boundaried and caring and concerned and attuned and mirrored that to me is the biggest gift of what we offer because in giving that so many other pieces can begin to heal within the person who's suffering So I think we give that, we give a reparative relational experience. Then I do think, yes, there's the modeling ourselves of what it is to have gone through a dark night of the soul and to have come out on the other side. And maybe wisdom we can impart from that saying, keep going. Maybe even sharing selective and appropriate bits of our own story to make someone feel less alone. I think too, there's maybe a little bit more um, practical intangible thing that we do. We can provide resources, we can provide ideas, we can um, be there to help them, you know, if not problem solve, then think through some of the issues they're facing. There's so many things that we give, but at the end of the day, I think the core of it is the reparative relationship experience. What is it about us that eats up someone caring about us, someone loving us, someone seeing us, even in this moment, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we are eating that up, right? Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. Because it feels good. It just feels good to be connected to somebody else who is being kind to you and being present with you and connecting with you. And I don't know why. I, you know, I don't have all the answers to the soul, but I think this is how we come into the world. And I think we grow when we have that and we grow in positive ways when we have that we're hungry for it we love to feel connected we love to feel seen we love to feel acknowledged it feels good and when we feel good when we have that when it meets that need we have for connection and contact then i think we're back to that that question you asked about the ground like what helps create that internal ground well i think that does i think that feeds the internal ground each one of these episodes feels to me like a quilt patch and you know everyone has a sort of different way but there's of course these like themes I think that runs through it of how much we are told about individualism and yet so much of healing and health (laughs) seems to be relational (laughs) (laughs) you laugh Mm -hmm. so what yeah what what like when I point that dichotomy out what yeah what do you make of that oh man the uh american cowboy (laughs) mythology of rugged individualism it makes me shake my head i don't think the goal is to be fully independent and i don't think the goal is to be fully dependent i think the goal is to be interdependent and to let it be safe and possible 
to lean on and rely on certain others at certain times and to allow those certain others at certain times to lean and rely on you. I think the goal is interdependence. Yeah, I think I'm still very struck by how powerful relationship is. Mm. It, it's almost like healthiness is a virus mm. that, you know, <laughs> and if you sit in it mm. and you sit with someone mm. who has it, mm-hmm. it spreads. Mm-hmm. And maybe the others is true too. I mean, maybe we're actually talking about the virus of, of how much we really do infect each other. And if I'm in a negative place, I can affect you pretty negatively. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if I'm in a positive place, I can affect mm-hmm. you pretty positively. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We're using viral language, but I'm, I'm thinking, well, mirror neurons. We yeah. influence each other. Yeah. We influence not only each other's moods, but we actually influence the development of one another. Truly, literally down to our neurochemistry. The neurons in our brains actually respond to the neurons in others. So we know this. Mood is contagious, and we form in relationship to other people on a neurological level. It's striking. I remember way back before I did any of my healing work, I had a terrible sense of um, sort of catastrophe all the time. And so if somebody did give me a look that was askance, I went into fear, I went into panic, even if it was not somebody I knew, because that was my trauma response. But through the work of therapy and healing and tons of reparative relationship experiences, it doesn't, I'll notice it, but it doesn't shake me to the core. My nervous system doesn't have the same reaction. I make different meaning of it now. What do you think you know about yourself now that you didn't know then? that I have the capacity to take care of myself and move through the world and be okay. Beautiful. Thanks. I mean, really, it's a a great healing message from an old message that probably was, you're not okay. Oh, for sure. And the world has a lot of force over you. Yeah, and it's terrifying and it's out to get you. And if you don't do personality gymnastics, you won't be safe. No, I think... The way I move through the world now is with with a much more stable sense of self. And yeah, my mood changes day to day. It certainly depends on how much sleep I get. But um, that core sense of self, that inner stability, it helps me move through the world so much more easily than 10, 15 years ago. Has motherhood changed you? (laughs) And changed your sense of this? And and how? Oh. Yeah, yeah, in so many ways. I mean, where, where, where do we start? It's funny, my husband played me this song by Brandy Carlyle last night. It's called The Mother, which I highly recommend everyone listen to. And one of the lyrics said, Welcome to the end of being alone inside your mind, tethered to another, worried all the time. And I have just been repeating that to myself ever since I heard that because I think it is the most profound change that I've struggled to articulate. Not the necessarily worried all the time piece, but the being alone inside my mind. She, my daughter, is always at the back of my mind, no matter where I am moving through the world now. And that doesn't mean I can't be fully present for clients in therapy or um, what have you. I just mean I'm occupied by another. It was a profound shift. 
who is, you know, challenging at times. Um, and it's also incredibly amazing. I also, I mean, there are so many ways I've changed, but the other thing I think of as it relates to this conversation, especially as we're talking about the power of relationship, I have a heightened level of sensitivity around the power of relationship to wound and to heal and hopefully a vigilance and also um, an intention to give my daughter the best relationship experience I can. And when I mess up, because I know I will, to try and repair that with her. Yeah. And God, do I have appreciation and compassion for parents now. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. In a way that I don't think I did before now, because, um, you know, I think therapy can, some people can view it as parent bashing, like blaming everything on mom and dad. And that comes up in our work. Let's be honest. Like we are obviously going to talk about our parents because that's where we form so much of ourselves and our views about the world. But boy, between the fatigue and the student loans and the commutes and everything, paying the bills, like it is hard to be a parent and it is hard to be a parent, be a parent with good, kind, appropriate responses all the time. That's Herculean. So I have a lot of compassion for folks now. Yeah, I always joke, he'll have a therapist like me someday. Totally. <laughs> so will totally. repair what I fucked up. Totally. <laughs> My husband and I are like, okay, well, our goal is just to do less damage yeah, than our parents exactly. did. Right? It's like, we know she'll need therapy, exactly. but hopefully she won't spend four but, years but, at Esalen recovering. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Totally. I, I pray you have a good therapist that will fill in where I screwed up. <laughs> May it be so. Yeah. Um, yeah, is there, I would leave a little bit space of just openness, like is there things you would like to add to this conversation, or are there things that are stirring in your mind that I didn't specifically <laughs> ask a question to, that, yeah, yeah. Hot. Yeah. So many things. Um, well, I think our conversation has really reconnected me back to why I love this work so much in a way that sometimes feels hard to articulate on the day-to-day -day level, but uh, again, reminds me, like, I do this work because I believe in the healing power of relationship and in the great potentiality that we all have to heal and to transform no matter what our early life circumstances were. A thing I think I'll say is because I say this to quite a few folks who come through my office, it takes time to develop certain ways of being and worldviews and beliefs. It will take time to learn how to practice and do something different. So that is, I think, always the, the secret ingredient here. I think healing takes time when we're talking about these very core fundamental parts of how we relate to ourselves, to others, and to the world. I think sometimes healing can get lost a little bit in the pop psychology jargon of, you know, workshop seminars and whatnot. But the kind of healing I, I really believe in is more of the quiet, everyday, foundational level work of how we relate to ourselves, to the world, and then to others. It takes time. It's not always the most popular opinion, but I think it's important to say. It's important. I do think there's a compass in us that's pointing us to the, mm -hmm. the beautiful end of the story. And mm -hmm. if you just hang in there and keep going, yeah. You know, even when you get lost at sea or go the wrong direction, like that compass is there in time. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. yeah, I, I mean, I think we even do some listening to it even before we even realize we're listening to it. And then yeah. you can get into healthy environments that really help 
attune you more to it and make you an active participant, make you even understand you have a compass, mm -hmm. what north is for you, mm -hmm. and then, so, like, I think it all can speed up, but I really agree with you that, like, yeah, at the end of the day, if you can just hang in there and keep going, like, odds are in your favor. I think so. The arc of life is can be long for some, and but it does bend towards healing. I think there's something inside of us that is so healing and growth-oriented. A part of us that knows that suffering and pain and disconnection and alienation, that that's not normal, and that there's something else. Well, that seems like a beautiful place to end. <laughs> Thank you for sharing your insights and doing this with me. I wouldn't have a show without guests, so I really appreciate every guest that comes on and thank, thank you. you thank you so much it's um it's so beautiful to be asked these questions and to reconnect back to why I love this work so much and why I do what I do so thank you for that I feel uh, very filled and happy after this conversation would you like to plug anything a website uh, sure. please feel free to, sure. to plug away so as I mentioned, I run a therapy center in downtown Berkeley in the Wells Fargo building. We have a beautiful suite of offices and a really talented, highly trained team of clinicians on board. And we see individuals, couples, teens, and families. Um, and we're Evergreen Counseling. So you can find us on the web at www.evergreencounseling.com. You can call, text, or even book online. We'd love to be a support to you. Perfect. Thank you, Annie. Thank you, Josh. Thank you, Annie Wright, for sharing your wisdom with us, and a shout out to my best bud, Justin Reed, for the music you hear in each episode. If you want to reach out to either of these individuals, there are links in the show notes, so check those out. And of course, thank you to you, the listener, for joining us. If you are digging these conversations, please help us spread the word by telling people directly or through social media about this podcast. Tune in again for another great episode.